welcome back for another episode of Outside is Overrated. This is episode 12, Tom and Phoenix Spoil the Ends of Everything. I'm your host, Tom Awesome. We are broadcasting from Roseville, Mona... I know what state I live in. This is going to be a terrific show. Just terrific. Anyways, I'm Tom Awesome. We're broadcasting from Roseville, Minnesota. It is Saturday, May something. And we have a great show for you today. We're going to talk about Avengers Endgame. We'll debate a certain Marvel Cinematic Universe's star's acting chops. We'll wonder at the Big Bang. And we'll chop the head off of Game of Thrones. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. Visit their website at PremierHealthMN.com. Thank you to Premier Health. Check out their website at PremierHealthMN.com. It's been a nice run with Joey. This year is off to a good start, but for this episode, I would like to welcome a very special co-host. The woman who is responsible for Outside is Overrated. The absolute love of my life, Phoenix Tochi Forced Logic. Welcome to the show, babe. Thank you. Hello, everyone. You are a perfect co-host, love. I'm so excited to have you here. For most of my life, my personal interest in gaming and comic books was almost ancillary. You grew up much more immersed in sci-fi and fantasy. That is correct. Um, My mom and dad both loved sci-fi. They got into the Star Trek original series. My dad read a lot of comic books, got my brother very interested in them, and my brother took that and went far beyond reading sci-fi, fantasy books, comic books. He gobbles those up like crazy. Your brother is like Galactus of sci-fi entertainment. He devours worlds. He does devour worlds. I mean, a new sci-fi book or fantasy book comes out, and he'll read that in one day. What if it's like days before his birthday? What if it comes out right before his birthday, and everyone in his family knows that he wants it? (laughs) Uh, He already has it in his hands and have read it before we even get a chance to get it to him. He's... It's happened. It has happened multiple times. Um, My mom also grew up with her stepfather who uh, developed board games. He would uh, drive them to New York and try to sell his idea. We actually have one of his originals. It's a vampire game. We have yet to try to play it yet. but And she also loved um, sci-fi books. She just devoured those as a high schooler. Edgar Rice Burroughs. Um, Big Tolkien fan as well. Yes, Tolkien was her absolute favorite. She just loves Tolkien. And by leading by example, she sort of shared it with us. She gave us um, a love for that type of world. And so we grew up with um, old-time radio shows, which had a lot of sci-fi entertainment shows, which were crazy because they would talk about the 1990s and what they thought we would be living in. That was the future, and we're so far beyond that. Where is my flying car, goddammit? And where is all the alien civilizations living with us, you know? So it's crazy to listen to those shows today because it's like, wow, that was supposed to be 1995, and nothing has changed since the 50s. Technically, but and so from there, I just grew uh, to appreciate and love, you know, sci-fi TV shows, um, novels, and you know, old-time radio shows, board games, and my brother. He continues just influencing my life too. With you know, have you watched this? You should watch this and read this. We have like a hundred of his books in our house. Yeah, so and you know, so I'm we're constantly influenced and. 
But I love it and I embrace it. It's just, it's a fun genre and I enjoy it. And I love being into stuff that isn't seen as popular. Like you You're know. also a creative person and an artist. And I think it kind of fills that void. Or not void, but it fills that side of your brain as well. That is true. I mean, it does influence a lot of some of the art style I do or like, you know. And I love um, old time radio shows again the old detective so i love noir i love drawing noir type style but it's been part of my life and i know when you look at me you don't see it but i see a smoking hot blonde woman and the mother of my child (laughs) thank you love you know i just don't really show it as often you know on the outside but if you get to know me you'll see that i have quite the nerdy geeky side that's almost like a microcosm of the start (laughs) of our relationship i was afraid of you for a very long time because you're beautiful and you're very very quiet and you're very hard to read that is true that's why we didn't start dating until we were in our 30s i blame you honey okay i'll take (laughs) thanks a lot for my 20s i did chase you down though yeah One of the things I love about you is the way that you have embraced and nurtured my nerd habits. When I moved back from Maryland in 2011, I owned zero board games. Now we have 50-some, easily, maybe even more than that. The same thing with comic books. You have given me incredible collections. I have a nice bookcase full of comic books now that you've given me. And you're the only person who buys me video games, so I married you. Thank goodness my brothers don't buy me video games. I agree there. I mean, I don't know where Joey would fall because I keep (laughs) using his games and I just keep them forever, so it's almost like he buys them for me. Uh, Your mistress, maybe? Yeah, maybe. I'm glad you beat him to the punch. (laughs) I also love that you have been open to video games because prior to our relationship, we've been together since 2011, December of 2011. You were never really exposed to video games, and now you play them with me. I do. I never really, um, you know, I had a neighbor who played the Nintendo games, Mario, the duck shooter game. I tried them, never really got into them. That's because video games were shitty and old back then, and now they are awesome. But um, since being with you, I've experienced all the different genres of video games have to offer. I've learned what style of video game I succeed at, I like, and enjoy. And so I've been enjoying games like Diablo 3. I love the Lego games because they're so forgiving when I first started playing because you can not die. You that can... was really your initiation into video games. It was. Lego Star Wars and the other Lego games. I would have to say if you're trying to get someone into games, I would say Lego games are probably one of the games to try because they're forgiving. Especially if you're patient because you can go at your own pace and... Uh, there's a lot of exploration and they're forgiving and they're also just a lot of fun they're funny and it's been a great experience for us playing together oh yes um other games i've enjoyed the uh, tomb raider games um i can't remember what studio made those the um and we're not talking the mainline we the ones we played together were laura croft and the something of something yes which was like a twin stick shooter cooperative game that Got super duper frustrating at the end, and God only knows if we'll finish the last three boards, but I hope we do. Those damn boulders. But um, we've been playing now um, Dragon's Crown, which is really a lot of fun, and we're looking forward to playing Ultimate Alliance together once it comes out. What kind of style of characters do you like? I have a tendency to prefer to get right in the middle of everything and just whack at people. I can't be a range person. I can't. I tried it. I hate it. It's just. God, gotta be right in the middle of the Gotta get action. me right in the middle. It's like, I don't care, just get me right in the middle. So. I'm so hot for you right now, honey. <laughs> so, Phoenix and I have a great show for you today. We're excited to dive into a bunch of topics. Before we do, though, 
this is our corrections section. As you recall, in the last episode, we had a couple. Now, there are none. Either nobody listens to the show anymore, which would make me very, very sad, or, what I choose to believe, OIO is flawless. I agree. It is flawless. Yeah, flawless. Hooray. Huzzah. <laughs> you can follow us on social media. Both of us are on Twitter. I'm t- uh, at Tom underscore underscore awesome. She is Mrs. underscore OIO on Twitter. I love that you have an underscore. Julie always begs at me for my dual underscore ways. And, you know, it just feels right. Maybe we should have given you two so that we'd have both. Yes. We'd be all samesies. <laughs> You can also follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash outside is overrated or on Instagram at outside underscore overrated pod. We have had a child just over a year ago, so our life changed quite a bit. And in the last month, we actually made it to a movie, which is a tremendously exciting thing for us. Yay! We took our daughter to daycare, we both took the day off from work, and then we met a group of people to check out the biggest blockbuster of the summer. I guess when we went to the movie, I knew, or we both had talked about how we were, know that they had to bring the people back somehow, but the question was how. Um, and when. And when. Also, we were very curious about Nebula, because she is such a big character in the comic book. They weren't following the comic book, so were they going to have her be the key character in this or not? So we discussed that. We were discussing about certain characters we liked, you know. What are they going to be like in the next, the second one? We are kind of excited, but also nervous whether it was going to tank or if they are going to pull it off. So Expectations for this movie were so high. 22 movies leading up to it. Not a single clunker. Like, this was, had so much potential to unravel in so many ways. But overall, I loved it. What did you think of it? I loved it. I thought they did a Great job of trying to piece all the pieces back together. It was... I don't know how they kept so many storylines going so fluidly and getting everyone their screen time and keeping everyone involved. One of my very few bummers was that they didn't bring Spider-Man back earlier. I was hoping that he would be a more important role. I get how it worked out. Uh, But that was one of my very few downsides of the film. Overall, I have to say I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was fun to see how they tied everything back together. You know, how they explained how everything comes back together you answer genocide with genocide is kind of like okay speaking of answering genocide with genocide one of our friends hated the cgi battle at the end you know i get that cgi maybe isn't the best way to portray things sometimes but when you're talking about a cosmic army using trolls and flying monsters and things that frankly don't exist you know what do you expect this is a universe with a flying hammer no one can swing on a strand of spider webs in real life. Like, yeah, there's got to be some suspension of disbelief in a big CGI battle like that. What were your thoughts in particular on the big battle at the end? The battle at the end was well done. I guess a lot of people loved Captain America um, with the hammer. I was a little like, eh. We should also mention, this whole episode is going to be full of spoilers of all of our topics. So I apologize if we just ruined Endgame for you, but... Every single topic that we're talking here, we're talking about spoilers. We're talking about the end of everything. So uh, there will be timestamps in the post on OutsideIsOverrated.com and hopefully wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Uh, You can jump around from topic to topic if you want to avoid spoilers, but we're not pulling any punches. We are talking about everything. I think we heard that there's a comic book out there about Captain America with the hammer. I guess it's because I started to dislike Captain America through the films, especially after Winter Soldier. I think he's just a selfish bastard, but (laughs) 
maybe that's why I didn't like the part with him swinging the hammer, because I didn't think he was worthy to do it. Otherwise, I think the whole... You know what would have been badass in that instance? You know who should have wielded the hammer? Who? Lady fucking Thor should have wielded the hammer. Apparently there's no swear filter on this one either, so... You know, it's been a long weekend. Hang on to your hats, everybody. And babies in bed, so... And babies in bed, so, you know, all bets are off from here on out. What are the odds the Spider-Man shirt stays on me through the entire podcast? I would say maybe 10%. That's probably about accurate. But Lady Thor, I love Lady Thor, and I get that she didn't exist in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I get that there's something with Natalie Portman and the character of Jane Austen, Jane Austen, Jane Fisher, Jane, what's Jane's last name? I don't know, whoever the frick Natalie Portman's character is, Jane. Uh, she is Lady Thor in the comic books, and it would have been awesome for her to make a cameo and whoop some ass. It would have been. I mean, they were trying to pull strong women characters in this film, and that would have been a great surprise. Um, another character I really struggled with was um, Captain Marvel. Yeah, Captain Marvel. Good point. Because expectations were pretty high. She was teased at the end of the first Avengers uh, Infinity War, and then she had her own movie earlier, and it felt like she was primed to be a central character in this, and... Yeah, I just, I guess the point was, I don't know, I feel like they should have maybe gave us her story about her origination at after the movie of Endgame, because, I don't know, because it's two different characters to me. If you watch her movie and then watch her in Endgame, I feel like it's two different characters portrayed, you know? And I wonder if that... The framework for... What movie are we talking about? Endgame. I wonder if the framework for Endgame was maybe already set before they finalized the scripting for Captain Marvel. It was. I did read that online that they actually filmed all her sequences in Endgame and they had no script written for her movie. And the beauty of having CGI characters, all of her stuff was done ahead of time, but and her hair was different. She was short-haired Carol Danvers in Endgame. She has long-haired Carol Danvers in Captain Marvel. And Rocket actually made a joke about it in the movie, so throw that jab in. Didn't your brother call her soccer mom or something? Oh my goodness, I can't remember, but that sounds like Larry. Yeah. He's like, what, she cut her hair, she's like soccer mom or something? But <laughs> yeah, I just, I was disappointed because in her movie, she was all powerful. She scared everyone at the end. She could do anything. And for her, yeah, she took out a ship, but it's like Thanos wasn't even scared of her. But he was terrified of Scarlet Witch. She was about to destroy him. Scarlet Witch was whooping his ass. I know, and so he called in the rain to just destroy everyone. He didn't care. And, you know, and he was terrified of Scarlet Witch. But with Captain Marvel, he didn't really care about her at all. So, Oh, you cool. Know, yeah, you're strong. Whoopee. But, <laughs> you know, it's just, I don't know if they just... Should have waited with her movie until after Endgame. I don't know. I don't know if it was meant to create more hype for Endgame. I don't know if that's physically possible. It was the most. It was the biggest movie of the summer. Yeah, I mean, it's just they could have waited. I think, but you mentioned another real controversial thing from this movie was was Thanos raining fire down on the building, the building falling on the Avengers, and everyone surviving. Did that strike any emotion with you? It seems to have a lot of people riled up. Um, you know, I guess it's like, oh, okay, I guess this is one way to move the storyline along, but, I don't know, I guess it was, I guess I just see it as a plot to just, oh, let's separate the characters, let's get Captain America by himself confronting Thanos, 
you know, and then get help from the people that, you know, always help him. But my friends had a pretty fun texty beat about this, and Joey threw the gauntlet down when he said, it's a universe with a flying hammer and all these other special Marvel things. It's like, you know, a building falling on these people, this is what you're going to get worked up about. <laughs> that's very true. I mean, Hawkeye's just a dude. He should have been squashed to shit, but whatever. Well, yeah, that's very true. You know, I just, yeah, I mean, it was a plot to make the plot move along. You know, get the pieces where it needs to be. I guess I didn't really focus on it that much, so... Yeah, I just kind of brushed past it to get to the good stuff. Yeah. You also talked about the strong women characters. Now, I've talked a lot about how I felt the last Star Wars movie was a little heavy on the girl power emphasis and how it felt inorganic. For the most part, I thought it was great in here, except for one scene where they pulled all the women together for an all-female photo shoot or some BS. What were your thoughts on the women in Endgame? I love strong women. I love women that can be portrayed as strong. I mean, looking at Captain Marvel and her movie, it's beautifully done. She's a strong woman. She has, she knows who she is. And I guess yeah, I like it when it's naturally done. And it's, it was kind of cool. Like, oh, cool, all the women got together to fight together. But it, I guess it was to just try to push it in our face, which is like, okay. Yeah, they're strong. They're, you know, they're equal. They're equal fighters, you know. So, I mean, I guess that's where I have a hard time because it's like, if we want to be seen as equal, they should be seen as equal fighters. But it, it was kind of a cool thing to see them all fight together. But in the end, I mean, again, Scarlet Witch was the one that terrified them the most, and she was a woman, you know. And she was furious. I loved that scene with Scarlet yeah. Witch. That was one of my favorite things. So. Also, Larry made a joke about her almost killing Thanos with her cleavage. <laughs> Sounds like your brother. Thinking of the women of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I want to talk about Gamora for a second, because she's been in a lot of films, and she is supposed to be the biggest, baddest woman in the entire galaxy. Do you think that she carried that attitude across all of the films? I guess that's one thing I do have a hard time with sometimes, because... They do show it a little bit in some of the Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like she can hold on to the ship and the rope that had Drax holding on to in that one scene. But I think out of all the films, I think Nebula is the most interesting character in the whole films because she grew more, where Gamora was the same. She didn't grow as much. I thought they were a little wishy-washy with her, like, yeah, even a badass can fall in love, but... You know, I never got that strong of a badass vibe from her. A lot of the other female characters, I felt, carried themselves with more a more powerful countenance than Gamora. And I love the actress. I, and I don't think she was bad by any means. I just don't think she was the biggest badass in the galaxy. No, I don't think so either. I mean, Scarlet Witch, um, again, showed herself to be pretty strong and badass. You know, you have the women from Black Panther who can really hold their own. Terrible marketing for them, though. I have no idea what their order is called. They're, I think of them as the Black Panther like bodyguards. True, yes. And, um, you know, like Pepper Potts, I like her character. You know, and, you know, she's not like a badass like Gamora, but she's one of those women that you can look at. She's strong in her own sense. She holds her ground. She can handle a man like Iron Man. You know, she doesn't take bullshit, and, you know, she doesn't have to be strong physically, but she just knows that she, you know, she stands her ground. She doesn't take the bullshit, and she, you know, is a strong woman in that sense, you know. 
And they, you, you like her, and she gets her armor, she fights, and that's cool, but, you know, she's a strong woman, you know. And Gamora, I, you know, I like the actress, too. It's fun to see Gamora fight and stuff, but, yeah, I agree. She just didn't come across as big as baddest woman in the universe, you know. But One of the small issues that I have with the film is the... There's a time travel element, and it's not exactly neat. Like, we recently watched The End of the Orba, which had a much neater time travel thing, and granted, that was a two-hour-long episode versus a three-hour blockbuster movie. Now, do you have any quibbles about how they handled time travel or any of the loose ends that were left hanging out there? Well, I guess if you're asking about the Captain America part... <laughs> oh, Captain America, and, I mean, the Avengers go and they kill Thanos, and that's... Interesting, and then they wind up traveling back in time, and then Thanos travels forward in time, and it just gets all this that wonky part, stuff. Yes. The, yeah, that whole, you know, they always talk about, we can't do this, and, you know, they brought up the discussion, well, let's go back and kill him. Well, they say, well, we can't, because it would screw up timeline. Well, Thanos already screwed it up by jumping ahead and bringing Gamora, who's supposed to be dead, so I think it's already been screwed up, so, and they don't even address that. Had, uh, that happening at all. I mean, the Hulk doesn't even talk about it. No one talks about it at the end. It's like, okay, so does it really play a role at all in the time? Apparently, nobody cares. Yeah, no one cares. Huh. Well, you, talk, you just mentioned the Hulk. The Hulk was wildly different from any rendition we've seen in a live-action film. What were your thoughts on smart, funny, balanced Hulk versus the indestructible rage machine we've seen across the rest of the MCU? It was fun to see him differently. It was fun to see the character not in conflict anymore and be able to embrace both sides. But they never really explained how he worked it out, right? I, you know, they touched on... The last on, Avengers movie, he was a mess. He was a mess. They touched on it a little bit, but they don't really completely because all of a sudden the five years is like, bam, he's Hulk combined with, you know, but... And I guess maybe they did, and it, at that point it was a 17-hour movie, so maybe some stuff had to get cut, but yeah. I would have... I like Mike Ruffalo a lot, and I really enjoyed this rendition of the Hulk. It would have been fun to see more of him. It would have been, and I enjoyed how he made fun of himself by having to walk out and smash a car <laughs> to act like the Hulk, but I know some diehard fans kind of were disappointed in not seeing the true Hulk up here, you know. Watch Avengers 1. Watch Avengers 2. There's lots of opportunities to see Hulk smash. I'm sure there's an entire live-action movie in the first phase of the MCU, which is, I think, the only movie we have not seen out of the 22. Yeah, I guess if they're counting Edward Norton's... Oh, that Hulk. one I've seen. You haven't seen that one. I have not seen that one. I've seen the Oh, honey, one. you're missing out. There's <laughs> the best Hulk joke ever in that movie. <laughs> I've seen the Eric Bannon one, so... but um, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I think they're calling Edward Norton's Hulk, but I haven't seen that one yet, so... Other characters of note from Endgame? Thor! They went in an interesting direction with Thor. Your thoughts on one of the most handsome men in Hollywood <laughs> wearing a fat suit? I would have to say with Chris Hemsworth, they just know, just give him a little bit, and he will just run with it. I mean, he'll take it beyond... Fat effing Thor. That was amazing. That genuinely surprised me, and I don't think there's a lot of stuff in superhero movies that catches me off guard. That I did not expect. I did not expect that at all, and I loved how they kept it hidden, because it's like, that was a complete surprise. I know there's some women out there like, oh, frick me, I came here to see hunky 
Thor, and he's well, he's not the only handsome movie or handsome man in the MCU, right? (laughs) No, like maybe he's leading the train, but yeah, I just heard a couple women complain like. I wasted all this time, came to this movie to just watch a fat Thor walking around <laughs> drinking beer. And they were really upset. They wanted, you know, the handsome, hulky Thor. Instead, they got fat Thor. <laughs> I love Hemsworth. I I do, too. I don't think we've seen him in a clunker. I don't think so, either. I know a lot of people don't like Ghostbusters, but I really enjoyed it. Oh, my it. goodness. We loved that film, especially yeah. Hemsworth. We watched him in that race car movie. Ah, uh, yes. One word is a rush. I believe that's the title, yeah. He was the lower point of the two main actors, but he was still fine. The other actor just kind of stole the show. Oh, he did. Yeah, definitely he did. But, yeah, no, he's tremendous. I mean, he has a great career ahead of him, so. Hawkeye. Regular human being. Pretty good at killing other human beings. Your thoughts on that mortal who was completely left out of Infinity Gauntlet, or Infinity War, and played a central role in Endgame? You know, I'd, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess I wasn't bugged too bad by it. I mean, he has his skills. I mean, he showed his skills in the first two Avenger movie. He's held his own. So I think it was pretty well done. I mean, I guess I don't really have any issues with Hawkeye. So. Favorite Hawkeye moment for me across the entire MCU was, uh, I forget who was trying to mind control him, but he just stabbed the an arrow and said, try mind control. Didn't like it. I think it was Scarlet Witch. Yeah, Scarlet Witch did, yep. That was pretty good. I mean, it was a very touching scene with him at the beginning and a great way to kick off the film and hit you with an emotional punch right out of the gate. I really enjoyed that. Overall, I'm kind of blah on Hawkeye. Like, he's a fine part of the team, but I just don't think he's necessarily as interesting as the other Avengers. No, not necessarily, but they've used him in key parts. I mean, in the second Avengers movie, I mean, he's working... Trying to... It's like they have to validate that a regular human can contribute. I guess I don't have a problem with him because I love bow and arrows. I've always enjoyed characters who really show the cool stunts with bow and arrows, and I think it's cool. But, Um, you know, I think it's fun to see that on big screen. The direction I was hoping they were going is that he would have disappeared in the ash and that his daughter would have taken up the bow. Because I know there's a lady Hawkeye. I assume it's his daughter. I don't know enough about her, but I thought that would have been a cool... That would have been cool. And she was shooting the bow in the beginning. I'm like, oh yeah, I know where this is going. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, sorry to disappoint you, love. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what can you do? Uh, Another regular human, Black Widow. She got back to her red hair. That was a positive. That's positive. I mean... Everyone loves Scarlett Johansson. I've always had a love. I love her, too. She's a wonderfully attractive star. Not that that is all that acting (laughs) is based on, but I'm going to let you talk now before I dig myself any deeper. (laughs) I have a love-hate relationship with her. I just, people loved her in the movie with Bill Murray, um, and I just lost in translation, and I really did not care for that film, and that's the first movie I've seen her in. I've tried to... I've seen her in other films, but... There is one film that we really liked her in. Don John. Oh, gosh, she was fantastic in that. Yeah, that's a topic for another day, but we really enjoyed that film. (laughs) It's just great. I think we think similarly about Black Widow. We're not huge fans of her. I liked her in, uh, I think it was Winter Soldier, but that's also my favorite MCU movie. I thought her and Evans in that one were particularly good. But outside of that, I'm just kind of blonde. Like, she doesn't... I guess there isn't much need for a spy in these big, epic, cosmic battles. That's very true. I mean, she was a spy in the first Avengers movie, um, you know, so they used her a bit there, and then Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is no longer here, so she doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, a spy. I guess in this movie they're trying to show her being a leader, and I 
you know, that was supposed to be her progression, it probably in the future, is to become the leader of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., maybe. It was good. I mean, it was an interesting story arc with her. It was fascinating to see the two of them fight on who's going to die. I wasn't emotionally impacted with it as much as I guess they were hoping. Well, yeah, the point is you're supposed to sacrifice who you love the most in order to get the Soul Stone. And Black Widow and Hawkeye aren't the most in love with each other. Neither one of them was in a position to make that sacrifice. That is very true, and that's the thing. It's like, I don't know who they could have sent to really do that. But I'm amazed that no Nebula didn't say anything unless she didn't know that someone... But you think she would have realized it when Thanos showed up and says Gamora's dead, that... Yeah, probably. I mean, ultimately, they needed ways to kill off some of these characters, and that was Black Widow's ticket to ride. Yes, it was. Next up, uh, anyone that you want to talk about that we haven't touched on yet? Um, Iron Man, I think he... Oh, we gotta save Iron Man. He's gotta you gotta the save last Iron one. Man, okay. How I... about Captain America? Captain America. You mentioned it earlier, neither one of us is big fans of the direction of Captain America has been, like... We liked him early on in the MCU. I think I'm comfortable speaking for both of us here that the first two movies were fine, but where it started to fall apart for us was Captain America Civil War, which should not have been called Civil War, and it was just all downhill from there. I agree. I mean, I don't know. It wasn't emotionally connecting. I know it's like I felt Captain America was being selfish in that movie, and he keeps being selfish in ways for the rest of the movies. And I just could not understand his actions, and I know people try to justify it when they talk to me but it wasn't Long clear long story cut. short they're all wrong <laughs> yes it wasn't as clear cut I mean Bucky was a friend from a long time ago and I know he wants to protect his friend but there could have been different ways to do it and without sabotaging his whole thing with uh, Iron Man I just felt he was selfish at the end of the movie by going back in time and the hopeless romantic. My husband can definitely... <laughs> so, honey, when you're reading a book, what do you do? <laughs> I either skip to the end to make sure that the couple gets together, or I skip through the book to find the good parts where the couple is sort of getting together. I just... And if you look at my bookshelf, I do have secret stash or romance novels. So, I mean, I am like the... Have, I love trying to have the characters get together. And when they don't, I get pissed off. I don't watch the show. I refuse to watch a movie like La La Land because of that. But, you know. Honey, we haven't seen La La Land. <laughs> I can't believe you just ruined that for me. <laughs> you know what happens in Old Yeller? They shoot the dog. <laughs> well, that, yeah, I know that. But you'd think I would be the one to be, hey, he went back to be with Peggy Carter. But I just didn't feel like it was really his role to do. I just felt like it was selfish. And if he did go back in time, I mean, he's supposed to be this guy who, he lives by this code by helping people. But now he knows the future. How is he going to sit back at his house and let things happen, you know, without wanting to go back out there to stop things, you know? Luckily, the show got canceled because Agent Carter was about to marry someone else. What that would, would have been messy, too. That would have been really messy. <laughs> We're going to need some more time travel here. Get yes. some more pin particles, fire up the quantum realm, and let's uh, let's get weird. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just... I like that he showed up at the end, and he gave Sam the shield, and uh, essentially set Falcon on the path to become Captain America, because that is consistent with comics, and I think that's a nice ending, even if it's just setting up for a streaming show on Disney's service. That's... Insert masturbatory gesture here. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the point is that they didn't want to kill off two major characters. 
you know, they're already killing off Iron Man. But killing off Captain America, could the audience really handle two of the big characters dying? I guess is the question. I know, could people really handle both characters dying? I think they would have. I mean, it's no secret that contracts were up and they've been filling these roles for a long time. And, I mean, I consider myself a hardcore fan of the MCU and I would have been fine with it. Yeah, I guess, I don't know. I just, I guess I wanted to surprise everyone and say, hey, not everyone died. Something happened, you know, else happened, but... I think in ways he should have died fighting for his cause, his belief, you know, because that's what he's always done all his life. Now, Joey suggested in our previous episode that he hoped that this scenario didn't happen, that there's this big epic moment and Captain America sacrifices himself so everyone can move on and things progress. And then there's another big epic moment and then Thor sacrifices himself so everyone else can move on. And then they progress. And then there's another big epic moment and the third of the big three sacrifices himself. I can't remember the first two I said. This is going to be a horrible show, honey. (laughs) Are you glad that it didn't play out like that or... You know, I'm glad. I like how they did Thor, and I think uh, Chris Hemsworth, I think, must have extended his contract because it was supposed to be out, but... Um, I'm so excited that they left the door open for him to be in future MCU films. I know the next phase is supposed to be out in outer space, and Thor is, he's, you know, been out in outer space. It's Captain America has it, Iron Man has a little bit, but... You know who else has been out in space in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Spider-Man. Spider-Man has been out in space in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I was bummed they didn't bring him back earlier. I mean, Tom Holland, I still don't know if I love him as Spider-Man or not, but he's good enough, and he's my character, and uh, I was hoping they'd bring him back earlier. He got a nice run with the gauntlet, so, you know, they showed that he could not get killed for a little while. That was awesome. But I was hoping they'd bring him back a little earlier. Yeah, I I know you love him and wanted Spider-Man to come back and save the day on everyone. You know, we've made... He should have been the hero. Well, we've discussed this. I mean, anyone could have snapped their fingers and survived. I mean, Iron Man and Hawkeye are probably the two, and probably Ant-Man, are probably... Any regular human would have been well advised not to mess with a cosmic power. Yes. I mean, Captain Marvel, I mean, the way she's supposed to be, it's like she should have been able to snap her fingers, really have no effect or little effect to herself if she snapped her fingers. I mean, I don't think she would have felt much effects to it. Also, I think that this whole conversation is so silly because the gauntlet controls all the power of time and space and reality. Like, in reality, you could just snap your fingers and boom, whatever you want would happen. There's no repercussions. You don't burn your arm. It doesn't burn out your soul. It doesn't crush your arc reactor. Like, this is probably my biggest gripe with the whole movie is this assassinate thing. It's like, you couldn't think of another way to kill Tony Stark off. Like, I get that it's a noble sacrifice and that it's a completion of his story arc and that he's been such a central figure to the entire cinematic universe that he needed a fitting send-off. But, I don't know, it's... Snapping your fingers to undo everything and having it just sap your soul seems kind of weak to me. The whole storyline with Thanos jumping the head and trying to fight him and he, you know, it's just... I guess... Why not jump back, grab Tony Stark or clone Tony Stark or figure something else out? Why not have a hundred Tony Starks running around the world? That's true. I mean, the whole thing... Time travel is just so messy. I don't know how Doctor Who keeps things so... Tight. They, yeah, they have to keep it tight, but yeah, it's difficult. I mean, it's just, they could have maybe come up with something better, but again, overall, 
It was an enjoyable movie, but like again, there's these nitpicky things that I'll just... go way beyond enjoyable. Like yes. We walked out of the theater and we debated what review score that I should give it. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about a 10. I haven't given a 10 for anything I reviewed yet. And this felt like maybe this was the opportunity, but a lot of that was also the hype. Where did you... Do you remember where you were at about... I was maybe more around a 7, you know, but... A 7. <laughs> <laughs> so I loved it. You were lukewarmish on it. No, I guess I'm a harder... I score harder, but, you know, because there's films out there that are so well done and so... They're put together so well. I mean, like, Inception. I would give that movie a 10. Because that movie is just so complete and well done. Surprising. It just was... Actual Inception or Doctor Strange Inception? Actual Inception. Got it. Proceed. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, it's... You know, there's films out there like that that are just perfect. So to me, giving a 10 to a movie, it needs to line up a lot of pieces, so... And that's how everyone else in the world can tell that I'm married well. Aside from, you know, looking to you or talking to you or interacting with you or coming to our home and seeing how beautiful and wonderful and awesome it is. Keep me grounded on my review scores. What else could a guy want? <laughs> yeah, you should also maybe know what we're wearing for this podcast. Knowing that we were talking about the climax of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I wore a Spider-Man shirt because he's my guy. You're wearing a Batman shirt, honey. I know. Batman's my dude. He is your dude. Well, he is human. He is clever and smart like Sherlock. I love Sherlock Holmes. He's my absolute favorite character. And, you know, he, I think he can be anyone. It would have been interesting to see how he would have fit within the entire Infinity Oh, he would have totally known how to deal with Thanos before he even started. He would have had a plan. Maybe not before he started. He would have had to have some data to go on. That's true. That is very true. But it's interesting that you bring up Sherlock, because there is an actor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that neither one of us particularly cares for. Now, I've found that our interests in movies and actors often fall outside of the norm in popular culture, or at least within my friend group. Benedict Cumberbatch. We do not care for him. Now, he has 79 acting credits on IMDb. And going back to 2002, the dude has paid his dues. He's done a lot of TV. He's done a lot of voices. He's done... A lot of stuff. The roles that I have personally seen him in are Sherlock, Star Trek Into Darkness, The Fifth Estate, and Doctor Strange. So why do we have this distaste for Benedict Cumberbatch? He's an actor who plays himself in almost every role. I've seen him in other stuff when he was on TV, like Miss Marple. It's a little bit less subdued with his acting, so he's a little bit different, but ever since Sherlock, he seems to play the same character I just don't know. It's the mannerisms, the way he moves his mouth. It's just that's why I had a really hard time with Into Darkness, Star Trek, because it was completely Sherlock standing there. And I loved Into Darkness. Like It wasn't until the second time we watched that film when I'd seen more Sherlock that I realized, oh, I get it. Yeah, because it was just Sherlock standing there. You know, just it, it wasn't a different character, and that's what I had a hard time with. It's like... There is actors out there that can play the same person, like Tom Cruise. And, hey, I love his films, but, you know, I know what I'm getting with Tom Cruise. Everyone builds Benedict Cumberbatch up as this great actor. People think he's amazing. As Julian Assange in The Fifth Estate, same thing. The same same smarmy, smart-ass guy. They dyed his hair blonde. That's the only thing that made him look different. But it's just... He's practically Sophie Turner. He's the Santa of 
the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe. I mean, I have to say with Doctor Strange, it started off, he had, he played the same cocky asshole in that movie. One thing I'll note here, though, is that is consistent with Stephen Strange's characters from the yes. storyline. So it was actually a pretty natural fit. It is a natural fit, and that's why I think I was able to enjoy the film a bit more, because I knew it was a natural fit, and it was a little bit more subdued, but... You know, I could see his growth a little bit, you know, in the movie and enjoy it. But otherwise... Also, the Inception special effects were cool as hell. There were, there were very similar special effects between Inception and Doctor Strange, and they, they're still cool. I just... It was very derivative of Inception. It did look exactly like Inception. It was an enjoyable film, and it was a comic book movie. I always sort of don't expect the ultimate artsy best film out there when I go to a comic book movie. You know, like Batman movies. It's like, there's ones that are horrible and there's ones that are Christopher Nolan Batman movies were artsy and beautiful and complete, honey. They were. They were. I am Batman! Except for the whole Christian Bale thing, but his voice, I guess people really hated that, but... I hated it. I also think it's funny. (laughs) I am Batman! He is just someone that just can't disappear in a character. Um, John Travolta, you can watch Face Off. You see him as a loving husband, perfect, wonderful. And then as soon as he gets the face of the criminal, he just switches. And it's like, holy crap, this guy can act. He can take two different roles. I love that you just referenced Face Off on this podcast. (laughs) And thank you. And, you know, and you watch Nicolas Cage, and oh my god, he can't act, because he plays the same person. He played the criminal the same way, and the family guy the same way. It's just, it's, that movie is a perfect example of two actors who are completely different. On completely different planes of existence. Yeah. We should also note that you are a bit of a film buff. You love movies, you have seen a crap ton of movies, like, my friends give me crap for all the things that I haven't seen, and your own base is, you have a much wider base of experience that you draw from. I do. I mean, I guess I have a wide range that I enjoy. I feel bad because your friends give you crap about old movies. Oh my god, they love to give me crap about the movies that I have and have not seen, the ones that I think are classic. You know, they're old films, they're classics, but they're also... Feeding Bear's coming for you, you bastards. Rudquist, Casey, Tuesday Night Crew, you guys can all watch out right now. You stop laughing and you bring the thunder, honey. (laughs) (laughs) There are movies that you know, were part of the popular culture. I give them credit. They were nerdy, geeky. They're, you know, Aliens is perfect example of just the sci-fi that really was fantastic. That Jurassic Park, Predator is pretty good. There is so much other films out there that it's like if I even mention it, the guys are like, what? You know, it's like... That's exactly what you sound like, Patrick. I mean, you got Shaun of the Dead. It's a classic film of showing all the different genres of zombie movies. It's a big homage to the entire genre. Yeah, and then you got Hot Fuzz, which is a big homage to police films. And you, and then you got uh, End of the World. And, you know, it's just fascinating Some talking to people that call themselves geeks and they haven't even seen some of these films or seen the TV show Space, which is probably one of the classic film uh, TV shows that reference tons of movies and you know it's just amazing that some people get stuck with the old stuff and stick with the old stuff 
But there's, and there's nothing wrong with liking no, what you like. Nothing. But, you know, nerd culture, it's never stopped. It's always been producing content, and there's so much more contemporary stuff to fall in love with. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. And that's where I struggle with, with Sherlock, you know. I had a hard time with the new Sherlock because the way he was portraying the character. Again, and there's a wealth of there to work with, but I just hated the way they interpreted the character. But, I mean, I have to let go and realize that they can go different ways, and that's what I try to do. But, you know. And we'll save the Sherlock discussion for a future episode of Outsiders Overrated, where we're going to do a deep dive, because you have been so immersed in Sherlock Holmes throughout your entire life. I really look forward to doing that episode. Yes. So we'll get there at a future date. Right now, let's talk about Tom Awesome's Top 5 Space Shows According to My Wife. It's time now for... Tom Awesome's Top 5 Countdown. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. I'd like to start off with number 5, Futurama. Futurama has always been a quirky, fun, dear-to-my-heart show because, you know, you got to appreciate what they do because they bring topics in, and like the iPhone. That was one of the greatest episodes ever, but... We also, Tom and I, um, when we first started dating, we started to watch that show. Our first New Year's together is very exciting. I was living with my brother at the time. You were living with your parents. So we didn't have a lot of time alone together. But my brother and his family, they went to a New Year's party. So we had the run of the house all to ourselves. We could do basically anything we wanted to. So we, watched, <laughs> we went out to dinner and then we watched Futurama for hours. Yes, we did. And I think we watched uh, on the sailboat um, in... Killed a whole bottle of wine. Our first bottle of wine that we drank together from top to bottom. I mean, it's such a clever show. I know it's a cartoon. I know people might not rate it in their top five for sci-fi shows, but... Well, screw them. This is our show. It's our list. True. You have to appreciate the cleverness of the what they do with the genre and what they talk about on the show. I didn't appreciate the show in its time, but it's grown to be one of my very favorite shows of all. It's remarkable that it survived getting canceled Coming back as movies, and then coming back for a few more seasons to close it down. Yes. My number four would be Battlestar Galactica. I loved the miniseries when that came out. Oh, it just gripped you right at the beginning. And the first also don't spoil the show for me because I, you know, I overheard Odin say what the end is, but I don't understand it, so I'm trying to forget. Oh, okay. But the first couple seasons were really good, enjoyable, but, you know, after a while, it just went down the tank for me. It just was hard to try to pull through and finish it. I have to say it's number four. We'll always have the miniseries. Yes, the miniseries. I mean, that's what really puts that number four for me. I know a lot of people put it one, but I just have to say kind of fell apart for me towards the end. Also made a fantastic setting for a board game. One of my favorite board games, even if it's on timeout with a certain group of friends. That is true. You have put them on a timeout. And also I've heard very many arguments for that from that board game. So uh, number three is Doctor Who. Doctor Who is such a great show. It started in the 50s. It's one of the longest um, sci-fi shows out there. And I don't know if a lot of people don't realize that it started in the 50s, and because a lot of people know more of the newer Doctor Who right now. But there's so much great um, episodes, different Doctors. Tom Baker is one of the great ones out there. But David Tennant will have to be one of my favorites. I mean, I love him. He's 
just great, quirky, but he can play that dark side so well, and I enjoyed it. I know your favorite is different. Christopher Ecclestein. They say that your first Doctor is always your favorite, and you started me with the reboot and didn't care for Rose so much, but I liked Christopher Ecclestein very much. I was very surprised that this landed at number three for you, given the significance of Doctor Who with your family. Yeah, I mean, my dad and my brother ran across it and started watching it, and I would creep in and watch it with them. And Tom Baker is, if you ask my brother, he's his doctor. He just loves Tom Baker. So out of your family, you all have different doctors as your doctors. Because April is... uh, Matt Smith, yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, we all have different doctors. And I think before it was David Tennant for her, but she loved uh, Amy and Rory's characters with Matt Smith. So I think that's why she... I say blah to that, but I love Karen Gilliman. Amy's one of my favorites, although Martha is my companion. Give me Christopher Eccleston and give me Martha. Yes, you do love Martha. Yeah. She was wonderful. Yes. The other first two choices I have, you know, they're just really well done. So, I mean, I love Doctor Who. I still have to catch up a bit on it because I've kind of fallen behind. But Do you think it suffers somewhat from having so many actors portray the titular character? Do you think that's part of the appeal? I think that's part of the appeal. It gives them something new to work with, a different actor to play the character, try to change up the character. Struggling to get through Matt Smith, which I know a lot of people would shoot me down for because everyone loves Matt Smith. But He was the Doctor when it became so wildly popular here in the yeah, U.S. He was, but I think the writer, I think the actor is okay. I enjoy him, but sometimes he can't that darkness very well. I mean, Christopher Eccleston did a good job. David Tennant did. I loved Eccleston for the fury that he could bring. Yeah, it's the fury. I mean, if you don't know the Doctor, he's this time lord who travels, but he is so old and he's seen so much. He has so much heartbreak and it's just, he can be this jovial, happy-go-lucky, just enjoying the trip, but then all of a sudden, if something just... You know, he hates something or doesn't like something he sees. He has this thing called the fury that comes out. And, you know, Matt Smith hasn't really portrayed it as well for me yet. Um, But we'll see maybe later on. I also have an issue with Stephen Moffat's writing. Oh, we've talked about Moffat's a lot. We actually use Moffat as a verb. Yes. And I still have to finish River's storyline. But at the beginning, I've never been a big fan of River, but I know a lot of people like River, so we'll see. I have to finish it to see. There's just a problem with characters named Rivers in space, but who knows? Maybe we'll touch on it again. Yes, maybe we will. Uh, my number two is Firefly. Um, oh, shit, there's a river in that show, too. There is, yes. Number two out of all of sci-fi, you register a show that had nine episodes there and a movie as your number two. I guess that's part, maybe because... You know, maybe that's why it's so high, because there wasn't so many episodes, so it didn't disappoint. You know, like, Battlestar started so strong and it started to fall apart. Maybe Firefly would have done the same thing, too, if it kept going. Highly unlikely with Nathan Fillion. I know, Nathan Fillion, just cowboys in space, come on, brown coats. It's so good. It's so good, there's And I had never watched it until you exposed me to it. And, you know, it's just a very well-done show, and the actors are incredible. There was so much they were pulling together that, you know, they could have developed so much, you know. I guess with Firefly, you could expand so much, run into a lot of different planets, deal with certain things. Or Battlestar, you're dealing with this villain, 
and they're trying to find their way to Earth, and this villain, you know, is trying to stop them, the Cylons and everything, and you know, where Firefly, you have a lot more to explore, like Star Trek did. It's almost like it's a better setting for a TV show, or Battlestar is maybe a better setup for a movie, or a series of movies, yeah, or, or a miniseries, series. or... Yeah. I think HBO miniseries is the answer for every entertainment I question. I think so. Yeah, I think so, too. Favorite character on Firefly? Uh... My favorite character, um, I would have to say Malcolm. I Who do. Calls him Malcolm, honey. It's Mel. Well, you know, true. I actually didn't even know his full name was Mel. <laughs> I was just Mel. Yeah, Malcolm Reynolds. Um, Mel, I really enjoy. I like River's character because she's fascinating. It'll be fun, fun to see where she went with her character. She was interesting, but they didn't give us enough with it. So I was just kind of blah on Rivers. And her brother seemed, just looks super douchey and I had a hard time getting past that. <laughs> he is douchey, but... I think one of the things that I like so much is so many of the characters were just flawed in different ways. Like they The brother were. was super douchey. The sister was broken. Uh, the pilot was interesting, but I forget his flaws. Wash. And there wasn't much flaws to him, I don't think. And the first mate, her weakness was an undying loyalty to Mal. Wonderful show, and I like the flawed characters. I think most people like Inara. What's your take on the leading lady of Firefly? I didn't like her. I just, I had a hard time with her. I hated the way she kept pushing Mel to become a better man, to mold to the way she wants him to be, because she wants them to be together, but she wanted a different man, and Mel could never be that type of man for her. They have the sexual tension, which I'm sure in the show would have driven me crazy forever and ever and ever. I guess I just had a hard time with her not accepting him for who he was, and that was why I didn't like her as much. So. You are a very accepting person. You married an exceptionally quirky human <laughs> being. Number one, honey, what is the best sci-fi show? And the best sci-fi show for me is Cowboy Bebop. Cowboy Bebop. Honey, that's a cartoon. That's not a cartoon. It's an anime. Uh, Cowboy Bebop is a fantastic anime. It was done in the 90s. You know, it was... It's still a cult classic among a lot of people. It's just... It's so well done. Spike is great. The characters are all great. And you have... Again, it's sort of... I think Firefly is sort of, in ways, kind of taking a little bit of the Cowboy Bebop genre into their show when they created the show. I think Cowboy Bebop kind of influenced some stuff. You shared it with me relatively recently, and I was blown away by how much I enjoyed it. I mean, anime is fine. I've never been super sucked into it. I've never been opposed to it either, but Cowboy Bebop is real good. It is really good, and I the characters, again, are great. And, and it'll be interesting to see what Netflix does when they release their live-action version. It's going to be hard to see a live-action version of this show, but... It's going to be very hard. I mean, part of it is the outlandish visuals. The characters are super sexualized, but at least the women are. They as, are. You know, anime. Yes, it's anime. <laughs> I would have to say it's just, it's well done, great show, and I think it's, you know, I could, it's a show that I can rewatch over and over and over again and keep enjoying it. Yeah, I look forward to rewatching it with you. Honorable mentions. For me, there is one sci fi show that will always be at the top of the list The X Files. It came out when I was young, it was in my formative years, it was kind of my gateway to science fiction. And Fox Mulder is one of my favorite characters. I don't think anything will ever unseat the X-Files for me. I bet not, no. I mean, I've seen a handful of episodes. I never fully have watched all of them, so they're really good and well done. I just haven't seen enough of them to 
really have a good opinion of the show. So. Sure. What were yours that just barely missed the list? I have a couple honorable mentions. Uh, there's Babylon 5, which is a... Um, it came out at the same time as Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and those two shows competed. But Babylon, that's got to be a hard thing to battle for the niche sci-fi audience. It was, but Battle Babylon 5 held its own, and it's an excellent show. It was well done, and the creator kept it tight and well put together. He didn't dilly-dally. He didn't George R. R. Martin it and just sprawl and sprawl and no, sprawl and No, he just ended. kept it tight together. Uh, Firescape is another one, if anyone... Love sci-fi, nerdy references, anything like that. Farscape is going to be your ticket. It's an absolutely incredible show. I thought you hadn't seen Farscape. I've seen episodes, but I, you know, the episodes I've seen is very enjoyable, and I would have to put it as an honorable mention. I look forward to watching through that whole series with you too. And then Red Dwarf. I don't know if many people know that, but it's one of the geekiest shows that anyone who is a geek would know it's Meghead is one of the references from that show and it's a great uh, BBC show it's fun and fabulous and then Orville oh the Orville I think I have made my thoughts on the show abundantly well known through Ohio uh, why don't you share a couple of your thoughts about one of our favorite shows Orville is great. I mean, I, again, was afraid it was going to be Family Guy in Space, which you've said before. And I shared the, uh, like, the official trailer on my last monthly column, and it was just super-duper jokey. It was all of, like, the funniest lines from season one, and I guess maybe that's what they had to do to sell it to executives, or I don't know what the deal is, but it just, it doesn't match the tone of the show. No, it doesn't, and it doesn't feel like Star Trek at all, either. They've somehow have been able to make it not feel like Star Trek. It takes a very Star Trek formula, but it, it feels does. very fresh. It's exploration and interacting with new species and being first contact, and there is a lot of humor. I'm not saying it's not funny, but yes. it's very subtle. It's not as in-your-face as maybe Family Guy humor. Yeah, so, I mean, if you haven't checked it out, I would check it out. It's just a great show. Also, watch it while it's on the air so it doesn't get canceled, and tell your friends to watch it, and tell your parents to watch it, and get another TV, and have your dog watch it. <laughs> It was renewed, so we have that to look forward to. Hooray! But one show that wasn't renewed... Boy, that feels like such a good transition, but I'm supposed to thank our sponsor. (laughs) So thank you to Premier Health. Premier Health has solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accidents and work injuries, and more. Outside is overrated, suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. You can learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. What was my brilliant transition? I feel so loopy. I'm barely holding the stuff together here, honey. Well, we're going to talk about the Big Bang. The Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory, it was undeniably popular. I don't think it was the best show on television for all its popularity, but it was very funny, and it had a personal connection for me because being from kind of a nerdy subculture, I could relate with the characters and their quests for love, their quest for life. It hit at a time when I was establishing myself in my career, and... You know, I just felt kind of a personal connection with the characters, mostly Leonard, even though he wasn't the best character, but, you know, he was the searching soul. Now, the show ran for 12 years. It is the longest-running sitcom in history, and it ended its run earlier this month. I jumped in after the first or second season. I believe I introduced it to you and your family, love. That is correct. And we have since watched every episode together. So, like a good Tarantino film, let's start at the end, and then we'll work our way back. What did you think of the finale? 
I enjoyed the finale. It was beautiful. I cried. I didn't cry at Endgame. I cried at Big Bang Theory. That's true. I wasn't going to bring it up, but it was so sweet, honey. I know. It just, it was beautiful. I thought they did a great job. You know, they brought a lot of pieces together. They finalized things. The only thing that I'm disappointed is that Raj, the romantic of the group, didn't end up with anyone. But, you know, that is life. You know, you don't always end up with you know, things don't work out perfectly as a sitcom can show you. But I think it was perfect. And I thought it was consistent with the characters, too. I mean, it that's was. a hard thing with the last one. And you have such an extreme and eccentric character in Sheldon. I didn't know if they could stick the landing and yes. have him really give the show the send-off that it deserved. And he, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. The writers did an amazing job. They did, yeah. So early on... Now we're going to go back to the beginning, and then we'll work our way back up to the end. But early on, the show centered around Leonard and Penny's romance. You have some strong and maybe contrarian feelings towards them. What are your thoughts on Leonard as a character, and how the Leonard and Penny storyline fits the different phases of the show? Um, Leonard can see why he's your favorite character, because searching for love, you know. Well, uh, not favorite favorite character, but... Connecting to him at the beginning of the show in ways when you first started watching it. Um, I don't know. I found him kind of a little whiny. I felt him inconsistent at times. I felt he was just... You know, for Howard and being the sleaziest guy at the beginning of the show, I grew to love his character at the end. Leonard always stayed the same to me. He just didn't seem to grow. He was very consistent, and you're right. He didn't change a lot throughout. He did... Married the woman of his dreams, he and he did. way outkicked his coverage. So God bless him for that. I can relate with that situation. Yes. Well, I just don't get the whole wedding. I think thing. you just acknowledge that you're way out of my league, honey. <laughs> I'm not. Um, you know the whole wedding scene where he admits to Penny that he kissed a woman or sort of cheated on her while he was on that ship, and it's like, well, come on, dude, really? You know, it's just. It's just, he seems so consistent throughout. He just, I don't know. So. I think this week, I mean, at least uh, in 12 years, you think there'd be some development with the character, but I don't know. I guess the Leonard and Penny thing for me was fine in the beginning. It was a lofty goal, and it drove the story forward, and Penny was the only woman in the cast of the show for the first few seasons. Yes. And I liked the Leonard pursuit of Penny and his relentless persistence. And then they get married, and then they kind of get put on a back burner for the last few seasons. And I think we both agreed that that was probably for the best. I totally agree. I think that playing them as secondary characters was the best because they didn't really drive the show anymore. I mean, Howard and um, Bernadette were actually sort of starting to drive the show a little bit more. And Sheldon and Amy. It was those two well, relationships those kind were, of became the yeah, center were, centerpieces of the show. Yeah, Sheldon and Amy were the dominant ones. And they always have, Sheldon always has been. And Leonard was second, but I think Leonard kind of fell back to third where Howard and Bernadette were second instead. They got what they wanted. It, you know, Penny just was the same. She didn't really grow much as either, now that I think about it. She, she got less attractive. Is that growth? Is that regression? <laughs> I mean, that's a horrible way to judge a character, but I mean, when they did the flashbacks of the early season, it's like, oh yeah, she was smoking when they started, and she's just another pretty lady at the end. Well, they just started to dress her differently is the thing. Yeah, they stopped uh, boobing her up, for one. Yes. But, you know, Leonard and Penny didn't really grow, you know, like, I know Sheldon is always going to be the same, but he grew in a sense. You could see him growing. And 
Amy, I think, grew too. I mean, Howard most certainly grew. grew. Yeah. And Bernadette was about the same. I just feel bad for Raj. I mean, he was the one that always wants the romance. And you have a soft spot for the romantics. I do. So I thought it would be fun to run through some of our favorite memories of the show. I have a whole list here. Maybe I'll go through these and you can jump in where you feel appropriate. So some of my favorite memories from the entire run of Big Bang. Starts with Leonard and Penny kissing to see if there was chemistry and her saying, the cat's alive, let's go. Going out on their first date. They decided to kiss before their first date to see if there was chemistry, if it was even worth pursuing. And after the kiss, she's like, oh yeah. Yes. That was a good moment. (laughs) Next up. Howard attempts to woo all of the women in California. You mentioned it. I loved Howard hitting on women. Like, I felt a little bad that he was constantly getting rejected, but it was kind of funny how sleazy he was. Not, you know, funny, but it was a caricature of the way that nerdy guys can try to impress women, and I thought that it was very entertaining. It was. I mean, they did a great job with that character. Maybe the sweetest moment in all 12 years for me Sheldon's reaction when Penny gave him Leonard Nimoy's napkin for Christmas. It was. It was one of the sweetest moments. And I would have to say, Sheldon and Penny, throughout the whole series, all the sweetest moments are between those two. It's almost like they're the ones that should have gotten married. In ways, yeah. It would have been an interesting dynamic to show those two game together. Her dealing with Sheldon and his, you know, Sheldon-ness. And it would have made an interesting storyline for those two to get together and them dealing with it as a couple. But and then, like, Leonard just drives off a bridge or something and is gone forever. <laughs> what a horrible thing to wish for, honey. I did not say that. You I'm did. Pretty, we'll check the tape, but I'm pretty sure you just said that. <laughs> but I do have to say, any time that Sheldon is down, again, in the finale, Sheldon was down, who picked him up? Yeah, Penny. Penny. Yeah, Penny is always... There and he's always there for Penny, so it's I, like she's more supportive of him than Leonard in ways. And there's that whole episode where he was stuck and he was trying to figure out the whole theory or something. And she comes in because um, Leonard and Amy were doing a whole bunch of projects together, and all of a sudden she's helping Sheldon and they figured out his whole equation. And I am totally spacing on that. Oh, really? Yeah, it's an episode where she actually helps Sheldon figure out this equation. And they figure it out together, and she walks back in, and Leonard's like, what did you do? And she said, well, I helped Sheldon with physics, you know. So, it's, <laughs> you know, so they, you know, they had an interesting relationship, and I, you know, I think they had the sweetest moments throughout the whole show. I do, and the gift one, I don't know why, but that episode always sticks with me as one of my favorites, because, like, the whole episode, Sheldon knows that she's giving him a gift, and he thinks it's this major annoyance, because he doesn't know what level of gift it is, and he has to give something of appropriate value back, so he has this whole scheme where he's going to fake an illness, and after he opens her gift to find out what level of gift it is, and then he's going to go grab the appropriate level of gift and bring it back, and he gets the napkin, he just brings them all out, and he says, it isn't enough, and he hugs her, and Penny says, look, Leonard, Sheldon's hugging me. I know, it's one of the sweetest Oh, best scenes ever. Another moment I enjoyed was Sheldon freaking out and moving to Bozeman, where he got robbed and he comes back without pants. Like, I forget exactly why he freaked out. There were things changing in his world. Um, Was it after Leonard and Penny got together? That's when they got engaged, and I think, I don't know if that's when they asked him to move out, or if that's just when they got engaged. I think it was before they asked him to move out. Yep, so, yes, it was. It was just them getting engaged and the whole dynamics changing, so... Penny confronting the guy who hacked Sheldon's World of Warcraft account. 
I loved the Penny who played World of Warcraft. I wish they kept it in the oh, show. Oh, she played a different game. She played um, Age of Conan, Age which of Conan. is a different online That's game. Right. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that one. Penny got addicted to MMORPGs. That was really good. Yeah, I mean, they didn't have that in the later seasons, her playing video games, because, you know, she was really good at them, she, the shooters. Yeah. And they didn't have her play. Holding her own on Halo with the guys. and yeah. They sort of let that go to the wayside. Which is too bad, because those were really funny bits. Like, I remember in the one where she got addicted to the MMORPGs, they signed her up for online dating, and a guy came, and, like, she was just completely dressed down. This is when they still usually dressed her up. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guy said, she doesn't look like her picture did. And one of the guys responded, they never do. (laughs) One of my favorite ancillary characters, Zack. Oh my god, I Zach, love that guy. Zach hanging with the science dudes. I always love those moments. It got a little weird at the end when he was asking Leonard to donate sperm, but oh, I just loved his interactions with he all of the really main good, characters. Yeah. And, you know, the group learned a lesson when they were mean to him. They got to pick on the big, macho, handsome guy, and they wound up feeling really bad about it. They did, yeah. They yeah. learned a valuable lesson. We're all just people. We are. Howard and Raj's romantic moments. I love the bromance between these two throughout the episodes and the climax of the big romantic moment in the finale and just all of that. I loved their relationship. Their relationship was great and I really enjoyed it and it was fun how they played on it. I mean, Howard could get a little demeaning at times, but you know, it, it just They're gonna talk fun. a lot of shit. I can relate with it. <laughs> I think Howard is wonderful. So, no, I really enjoyed the bromance. And then another thing I thought of since we started talking, what a fine Amy was. I mean, the actress was a neuroscientist. Yeah. Like, she was a childhood actor. uh, Maybe not childhood. She was was the star of Blossom, so she had entertainment in her background. She went on to become a neuroscientist. And then how on earth does she end up on the Big Bang Theory? You know, I haven't read the full story, but, yeah, no, it's fantastic to have her on the show because she's able to say all the words. You know, and not stumble, because she knows what she's saying, so... Yeah, and interesting that there was a female character that wasn't smoking hot. I know. Like, a lead female character. I mean, Penny and Bernadette were both very attractive women, but it's nice to see a more regular person the center of one of the biggest shows on television. It was, and it was very enjoyable, and her and Sheldon worked well together. I mean, for all the creativity that they could have done with Sheldon and Penny getting together, but Amy and Sheldon worked so well together, and, you know, she knew how to work with Sheldon, and it was a wonderful character to bring into the fold. One of my sweet moments is Sheldon um, helping Bernadette, because she was so pregnant, and she felt like she couldn't do anything with the group, and he did a whole D&D campaign for her, and made her... I forgot about that. ...made her this... uh, wonderful Amazon warrior and he did the whole story. I mean, it's for all the crap that Sheldon put people through, in ways, I loved his character because he would be the sweetest man in the end sometimes. He did have a lot of heart. He was just unaware of the way his actions affected the people around him. And it was just so wonderful to see him doing this for Bernadette. I forgot about that one. Yeah, that's a very good call. That was. Now, your parents really fell in love with this show. Your mom... (laughs) Very adorably calls this show <laughs> The Funny Guys. She does. She, uh, the Funny Guys, and then their cat Momo always lays on her um, stomach, and so she does this weird rub with him during the theme song. She just, they love the show. They rewatch the seasons over and over again. 
And I'm sure we will again, too. We will. It's nice that the show didn't have a How I Met Your Mother suck-ass ending. Oh, God. Now, the finale, and maybe it didn't break new ground. Maybe it wasn't the best orchestrated thing in the world, but... And I think I predicted many of the major beats from it. But it was so good. Uh, I knew that Leonard and Penny were going to get pregnant. The, the whole theme of him potentially donating sperm and her refusing to have children, like, I could see that coming from you a mile did, away, yeah. that they were going to announce she was pregnant at the last episode. And then Sheldon and Amy win the Nobel Prize, which is Sheldon's lifelong dream. Yeah. And most of the finale sep- focuses around him kind of pushing his friends away in his moment of glory, and then he realizes the situation at the end, and he gives a very sweet acceptance speech that is very humble and acknowledges all of his friends, and brought you to tears it brought me to tears and i just thought it was perfect and beautiful it was just it showed sheldon at his sweetest moments again like we've talked about he has his sweet moments and and i'm glad they brought it to an end with a sweet moment without turning it on its head by him doing something to ruin the moment 12 years is a long time. It is. And I, there was a down season around 7 or 8, and I thought yeah. maybe Big Bang is in decline, and then it rebounded after that. It did. Do we have any other thoughts about the Big Bang Theory and the incredible run of success it had? It's the top comedy on TV. I think it was wonderful. I love the guest cast. Um, they had some really great recurring characters. We both loved Stuart. He was oh, a Stuart fantastic was addiction, addition to the show and nice that he found love. Like There are a lot of happy thing, endings. Yeah. In I'm glad Stuart did find love and it's just that's why I feel bad about Raj because he's the one who pain. But, I mean, Stuart was great to bring him on more. You got a lot. Bob Newhart. I love Bob Newhart. I love his stand-up and to just see him on the show was just fantastic. So... Any other guests or cameos that we love? I mean, the Stan Lee stuff was very sweet that he made it onto the show. They did a wonderful job of engaging nerd culture, like Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher was great. Darth Vader. Yes. They did a great job, and it was fun to see them incorporate these uh, guest people on the show. It was fantastic. Well, Big Bang, we sure loved you. Thanks for a great run. Thanks for not sucking at the end. 12 years I thoroughly enjoyed the show, and I can't wait to watch them all again and someday share them with our daughter. Yep, and we're definitely keeping those DVDs. <laughs> we definitely are. We're not going to chuck them out like how I met your mother. Something else happened this month, another finale, and one that I've been waiting for a very, very, very long time. I've talked about it on the show multiple times. I'm excited to bring A Game of Thrones to a close. Now, to me, the series will forever be the Song of Ice and Fire, as God and George R. R. Martin intended it. Game of Thrones was the title of the first book, and I read that book in the summer of 2004. Ever since then, I have been waiting for closure on the Starks and the Lannisters with a passing interest in what's going on at the Wall. So where did I bring you on in Game of Thrones, love? How did I sell you on it originally? Ah, uh, you basically... Well, hey, here's a show I want to watch, honey. There's a lot of death and boobies. You Are you in? That's basically it. You grab the season, you put the DVD in, and you start the show. Yeah, I didn't really give you an option. I'm a terrific husband. <laughs> You're wonderful. You introduced it to me via the show. You've talked about it. I haven't read the stories, the books. I mean, part of me is like, you know me. I like to know the ending before I sort of read anything. So with the series not being completed, I have no way in hell am I going to start it. <laughs> but we started watching the show, and we... um. 
got through most of it, and then we got pretty busy with stuff. And You know, buying a house, getting married, having a baby, you know, stuff. We got stuck on, was it season four or season five where we got hung up for I years? think it was season five, in which, let me just say, I am... They give, your friends gave you a lot of crap for not being caught up, but they're giving Pat a lot of leeway for not being caught up with the show. Oh, people give Pat leeway for everything. But, yeah. That effing guy. We played a six-hour Game of Thrones board game without him having watched the fucking last season. Like, you know how hard it is to sit next to the Tyrells and not make one single joke about going to the Sept of Baylor? Pat, if you're listening to this... I gave the spoiler discrepancy already, the, the disclosure. <laughs> you're, you're in it now. All those fuckers are dead. <laughs> but, you know, we finally, after she was born and when she went to bed, we were like, we got to catch up. We can't be the only ones left hanging, you know. So we burned through those seasons pretty quickly. And it was pretty awesome burning through the last four seasons leading up to the finale. Like, it, everything was fresh. It was it a was. lot of fun. It, I mean, it was a lot of TV to get through for us, but... I'd say it was the best way because everything was fresh, like you said. We didn't have to, like, oh, what happened, you know? We didn't need the recaps. Like, we just jumped right into the last season and maybe loved it is a strong term, but we, I really enjoyed the last yeah, season. Yeah, I really... In the last season, I mean, there's ups and downs. There's some complaints. There's some stuff. I was getting a little frustrated with a couple things, but... Overall, the last season was, I'd say, decently put together. I mean, there's complaints again, but, you know, at least there's an ending. At least there's an ending, and I'd say a pretty good one. A lot of people think it felt rushed, but, I mean, I don't know what the production schedule is. I don't know how a lot of the technical stuff works, but I'm pretty happy with where things ended in a very general sense. I know a lot of people are unhappy, especially my sister, about Jon Snow ending up beyond the wall but like you said that was his happiest time yeah i think it's a beautiful ending for john snow john was one of my favorite characters from the written word throughout the show like i thought kit harrington was maybe a little pretty to be john snow but <laughs> you know i just spent 25 minutes talking about how hot penny and bernadette are so <laughs> what else i think overall they brought the pieces together they finished the show i mean it would be great which you will roll your eyes at, but it would be great if he did finish the stories, George R. R. Martin. He's never going to write another book, but I agree, it would be great. Because then you guys, everyone that's a huge fan, would have all those details to the story. I think a lot of the complaints that the general public has about the last season is that things felt rushed, there wasn't any character development, some people... I talked to a co-worker recently who was frustrated that the Night King didn't have more development, more time. I would have to agree. I mean... You told me that the first book opens with these White Walkers. Yeah, the uh, prologue. Prologue is before the book, right? Yep. The pro- <laughs> <laughs> I know how things work. I'm a smart human being. <laughs> the prologue opens be- north of the Wall with three members of the Night's Watch investigating where wildlings went. And they come across a massacre, and there's a knight amongst them, which is a rarity in the Wall. And a White Walker comes, and kills the knight, and one dude manages to escape, and the first chapter is Bran witnessing the dude's beheading. The penalty for deserting the Night's Watch is death, and the dude is willing to accept that penalty. I think, in ways, it was a tough final season. I don't know if they needed to split the final season, but having the whole 
Night King and the White Walkers coming. The whole series, the whole books just lead up to these creatures, this guy, everything, and it's all done in one episode. It would have been nice if the season was flipped and uh, all the King's Landing shit was taken care of and then you had the battle for That's life what I'm thinking. If they could have split the season somehow, I mean... Because I think they had too many villains in the show. They had to jump to villain one, villain two, villain three. You know, you had villain one, Night With King. With the slow-played villain always waiting in the wings. Yeah, and then you had Cersei, villain two, and third villain, Daenerys. I just, they could have split the seasons, maybe. Maybe people would have been happier that way. But. Let's talk about the highs. What were the highlights of the final season? You know, there's a few episodes I enjoyed. I mean, I loved the, um, I think it was... The second episode where they're all sitting around talking. Probably going to be one of the iconic scenes from Game of Thrones for all time. Just being human, talking and stuff. And, you know, the highs, skin closure, I guess is the biggest thing. Yeah, so. I thought the battle with the Night King for how abruptly it ended, I thought the whole setup was cool. Like the Dothraki charging in, the dead coming, and I thought the battle was very cool. I just wish we could have effing seen it. That's true. Strange choices <laughs> in lighting. Yeah, it was strange choices. I understand it's nighttime, everything's dark. I understand the director's choice and wanting to keep it dark because it's night, but still, your audience needs to see what's going on. It would have been much more impactful if we would have had a better sense of the surroundings. Like I, I didn't get a sense of terror because it was dark. I got yeah, a sense of frustration because I couldn't see what the F was going on in the final season of my favorite show. I kept thinking something was wrong with our TV until we saw <laughs> That's true. You broke our TV mount. <laughs> Trying to fix the <laughs> angle. I did, and then I thought... And then you found the Twitter, um, who was it on Twitter? that The Mighty it? Church. He tweeted about it, and it's like, oh, we weren't the only ones. Yeah, apparently it looked like garbage to everyone. Yeah, so it's just, you know, they kept comparing this whole battle scene to Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings. And Helm's Deep was freaking awesome. It was. Going back to my buddy's earlier complaint about the CGI in the final battle with Thanos, like, there's a lot of CGI in Lord of the Rings, and people seem to like those movies just fine. I mean, yeah, there's tons of CGI in that film. And, I mean, you know, there's CGI in Game of Thrones, you know. They had to CGI the dragons. They had to CGI the wolf and, you know, the the dead. You know, they were in costume, but they still have to CGI some of that. So, mm -hmm. you know. Coming back to the highlights of the final season, Sander Clegane gets his revenge on his brother with a very noble death, of course, in the fire. I mean, that was great. I liked how they finalize that whole scene i just it felt like that was one of george r, r. martin's plans there were two things yeah. that i think were very much in his designs and that was the first one. Oh, of course you were always saying it was going to happen so i knew that it was probably going to happen you always have a good sense for these things but well i take kind of a scattershot approach for my predictions i throw a lot of shit out there and <laughs> sheer numbers some of them are going to be right no but you were pretty congruent about this one but I mean, it was very well done. I think it was good. Um, though someone did make the comment that the eye gouging scene was longer than the death scene of Cersei and Jamie, so... We'll get to them. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that in the highlights. I mean, that death scene was really well done. The brothers taking on brothers, you know, they're just... It was good. It was a highlight. So. Another highlight, Bronn pops back in for a moment. Cersei has paid him. He has an affinity for each of the brothers, and so he's thrust in this weird spot, and he 
like he always does, he steals the show in a scene with the Lannister brothers. He does, and he does steal the show in the last episode, too. I mean, People are more divided on that. Really? Yeah, I've heard multiple people complaining about, why is he there, and blah, 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 and brah, 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 and that's too much to pay him, and blah, blah, blah. For God's sake, no one's left. Everyone's dead. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Bring back a well-liked character and give him a position of prominence for the new world order. Yeah, I mean, if they brought a nobody up there, people would be like, who's that effing nobody there? You know, so, Bronze there. I thought it was interesting that Barrett Dondarrion met his fate. I wondered after the last season what his purpose was after Thoros of Myrrh was gone. Turns out... Uh, Melisandre was the Red Priestess. She was the one pulling all the strings. We have no idea what those other Red Priestesses were doing, but apparently her whole purpose in life was to get Arya into position to make the key assassination. A roundabout way of doing it, but yeah, I guess Very roundabout. I guess that feels a little Martin, too. There's a lot of sprawling there, and we've talked about it a lot. Melisandre's whole arc from being with Stannis and trying to convince him that he was the Lord of Light. I'm convinced that it was just an act. That was all part of her moving all the pieces into place and that men were easy to manipulate and getting them to believe that they were the chosen one. Well, I guess that's the thing and that we've been discussing. It's like, did she believe that Stannis being at Winterfell would allow Arya to come back to kill the Night King? And that's what she believed. And when he died and stuff didn't happen, all of a sudden she's like, oh, no, I need to get John back to Winterfell so Arya comes back. It's, that's what we've been discussing. Is that really what was going on? You know? One thing that bugs me, she put the moves on Jon Snow. Jon Snow shut it out because he is a man of honor, for Christ's sakes. Also, she's like a thousand years old when she takes that amulet off. Yes. And she says, you know nothing, Jon Snow, which is what Egrid says to Jon constantly. So I kept waiting for them to explain some kind of connection. No. No connection. No yeah. connection. Maybe it's just a nod to past episodes from the writers. But it's like, she could have said anything to him. She could have. You know nothing, Jon Snow. Like, no, that line is taken. It is, yeah. Other highlights from the last season, Arya killing the Night King. I mean, Arya was my second favorite character next to Jon through the written word. I know people have some umbrage about Arya and her usage in the last season, but we talked about it with Black Widow. What's the role of a faceless assassin in this grand scale war. Well, I, I guess we'll be talking about it later, but I was completely shocked and wondered and awed by her being the one to kill the Night King. And that it was, was awesome. It was a great moment. Like, it was a great moment. And especially with her failing her initial thrust, he catches her arm and she still manages to get the job done. Yeah. Good on you, Arya. Yeah, good on you. And But, uh, you know, again, it's just like after thinking about it, it's like, Maybe I would have preferred seeing her kill Cersei instead of the Night King. I think every person that has ever watched an episode of Game of Thrones would prefer her killing Cersei. Or anyone killing Cersei rather than a rock. Yeah, I mean, I just... I think in ways, I feel like Jon Snow should have killed the Night King. Arya should have killed Cersei. One of my friends had an interesting theory that Arya was going to kill Jaime, take his face, and then kill Cersei. I that would have been cool. I heard a theory that she is going to steal a face of, I can, cannot say his name, but her, her hand. Uh, Clyborn. Clyborn, steal his face and kill her. That would be interesting. But I think it would have been better if she killed Cersei and then George Mormont um, kills Daenerys. Daenerys is the dragon in the room. Let's dive into it. Now, 
It turns out that Danny Harris is just as crazy as her father. The whole series leads you to believe that she's a good Targaryen, that she is going to be the right one, the just ruler, and there was science the whole way through. But I totally bought into the good guy narrative. Uh, you did and you didn't. You I never liked her. Yeah. I did not care for the character, and I certainly did not care for her being on the wrong continent. I hated that, and I would have been happy if all of that was just cut out, frankly. Until she came to Westeros, I didn't care that much about Danny. But I bought the narrative. I did not expect her to turn at the end. Looking back, I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. But I think that was a masterful, masterful thing that Martin and the HBO folks did. I think, you know, they did a great job. I mean, I think in the ways you have to look at, there's three women who want to be queen. And you, they're all a product of how their circumstances have happened and how they were created. And Danny is one of them. I mean, she has... I think if she could have, she would have stayed married to... Call Drogo. And had his kids and been happy, but... Also, Call Drogo was the fucking man. Jason Momoa, he is a well-put-together dude. <laughs> but because of circumstances, things change, and she developed and changed and decided to go for the throne. I think she didn't give an F about the throne when she was married to him after getting past the point of the rape and everything, but, you know, she... Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think she cared... Well, even getting to that point, she didn't care at all about it. Like, she wanted to be out from her brother's influence and she wanted to live her life. Like, she did. She, Her brother led her to believe that they were destined to have the Iron Throne. And it's like she took it out of vengeance more than an actual desire to have it. Like, she said that she wanted them. That was her goal, but she sat in Marine for a long time trying to rule the city and bring peace. And that's one thing that you've always said. She refers to herself as a conqueror, never as a ruler. And She sucked as a ruler. Yeah. One thing my brother brought up after the fact was, like, one of the signs that she was going to turn evil was that she crucified a hundred and something slave masters, and they were bad people, and they probably deserved it, but that is an awful thing to do, and it was... An interesting piece of foreshadowing that I just rolled with because I, again, bought the narrative. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of little signs here and there, and none of us really predicted it. But, I mean, again, like you said, she was a conqueror, so you knew in your head that something was going to happen because she was never going to fully rule Westeros because she never referred to herself as a ruler. She, you know, never really fully seen herself as a ruler either. She wins, she invades King's Landing, she kills everybody. One thing that bothers me in this final season, the death of Missandei, one of Danny's trusted advisors. She's been with her a long time and was a lover in the books, and they cut that out of the show, I think. I don't know, ten seasons is a long time. Yeah, they didn't have it in the show. But they use that as one of the catalysts for Danny going crazy, and, like, she's lost bigger people. She lost Jorah Mormont, she left a person she loved in Marine to rule in her stead. Like, she's had bigger losses, like... The death of one of her advisors, like, yeah, it was brutal, but I don't, I don't buy that as the tipping point of madness. Well, I think that's why people are complaining it was rushed. Just... That's true, and I love, I love what they did. I, I love being surprised by a villain, especially a charismatic villain. I love a charismatic villain, and Danny was great. And it's just sad that it was, it happened so quickly and it ended so quickly. Like they saved it until the very end, which is great, but so much they could have done with it. Yeah, I mean, again, I think they could have split the... Or done two more seasons. Done one season of King's Landing or of the Night King and then do King's Landing. Oh, man, a whole season with the Night King, that would have been awesome. And the battle for life and death, that would have been 
Wonderful. I mean, it would have been fantastic to just see, because this whole history that they are told as children, the longest night, for some reason they were able to accomplish it in one night, you know. But, I mean, Arya, again, strong warrior, was able to do it, but still. Yay, strong women. Completely jumping topics for just a moment. What do you think of Arya having sex with people? I mean, the book started when she was, like, eight. And here's... The timelines of the show are so wonky. Like, a year passes in every season in real life. And Maisie Williams is a woman now, and she can do a nude scene, and that's fine. But in my head, she's, like, a young teenage girl. So I, it's a hard thing for me to reconcile with the real-life actress and the character. Like, it felt icky to have... A woman of that age having sex on screen. Well, that's the thing. It's like, as the actress, she's old enough, she's a woman and stuff. But if you do think back to the Middle Ages, they were marrying off girls at 14, 15. So, I mean, technically, Ugh. you know, it's it happened, you know. Yeah, I guess that makes a lot of sense, and that's the best context it's been put into for me. Hopefully mm-hmm. for all of our listeners as well. I mean, the problem is, I think a lot of people who've read the books and watched the show see her as a sister, you know? Yeah, that's true. And so seeing her drop her clothes and be naked, it's like, oh, sister, cover up, please, you know? It's so, <laughs> yeah. I'm not interested in you. Bring back all of the uh, yeah. prostitutes from just, across Westeros. I just find it fascinating. People were more upset with her sex scene, which was consensual. Versus Sansa with Ramsay. People did not seem to be up in arms about that. You know, the whole rape, everything, you know. What an awful thing that says about our society. Because, yeah, I gloss right over because I don't particularly care for Sansa as a person. No human being should have to go through something like that. But, you know, it's easy to distance myself because it's a fictional character and a fictional character that I didn't like. I understand. And that's why I think a lot of people had a hard time because maybe they see in Arya as a sister, you know. I think some of the most interesting story arcs across all of Game of Thrones happened with the women. We talked about Danny. She starts as a peasant. She becomes a conqueror. She falls in love. She turns into madness. She turns into everything she feared that she would become. She, Her lover murders her to try to keep her from conquering the rest of the world. It's a pretty interesting arc. Uh, Sansa. Oh, goodness. We have spent so much time talking about my distaste for Sansa in this house, on this show, amongst my friends... And never, never liked her. I, she started as an empty-headed girl, but she turned into this seasoned leader with a lot of life experience and uh, just very reasoned and very strong. And as much as I dislike the character for most of the fiction, it's an interesting arc, and she ended up in a very interesting place. I mean, her story arc is probably the most... Com- and one it, of the compelling ones. At times, very dark. She very was dark. married to someone that she hated and despised, and who was... Who was good to her. Like, the marriage to Tyrion would have worked if she would have been open to it. But she's yep. still just an empty-headed girl at that point with uh, delusions of being queen of Westeros and well, all the he was a Lannister, too. Yeah, true. And she had a bad experience with Lannisters. Interesting to see how she ended up. Cersei, one of the primary villains from the show. But she started in a place where she married from duty. She was open to marrying Robert Baratheon. And, you know, being queen of Westeros is... A good thing. She grows to a point where she kills all of her rivals and seizes the power for herself and becomes queen. She sees major hardships along the way. She sees one child murdered in front of her. Another child is murdered in her proximity. Another child commits suicide, largely because of her actions. Uh, She's gone through some shit, but another interesting arc to me, how she ascended to power and 
basically forge your way through sheer will and a degree of cunning. Again, it's just three women who want to be queen, and because of their circumstances, they develop differently. I mean, Sansa learned a little bit from Cersei, but through her circumstances, she was able to grow and develop into someone that can rule. Just she learned like, more from Littlefinger, both good and bad. Yeah, she learned through everyone she came in contact with, and she saw the Boltons at their worst and understood that, you know, that's not the greatest way to rule. And, um, you know, Cersei, she wanted to be queen, and she wanted her father's love, and, you know, she did what her father said. She wanted said. her brother's love, too. Well, that's true, too, but... In the scene, she's always desperately trying to get her father's love and to accept her as an equal and understand everything. But her circumstances brought her to the point where she was. And in the end, I think, you know, Sansa was the one who was able to come on top as queen versus the other two. Someone who didn't end up as a queen, Brienne, Brienne of Tarth. I love this story arc. She started as a warrior. She couldn't be a knight because she was a woman. Mm-hmm. She couldn't be with the man that she loved because he was a homosexual. She broke gender barriers to became a knight of Renly's King's Guard as an honor-bound servant of Catelyn Stark. She protected Sansa and hunted for Arya. That was all pretty interesting. She fell in love with someone that she, for all rights, should have despised in Jaime Lannister. And she ends up as a knight of the King's Guard. What a wild adventure just from her point of view. Oh, definitely. I mean, her story, I think, is one of the highlights of the whole show. Her, she was as honor-bound as Ned Stark or Jon Snow. Oh, definitely. Yeah, she was even maybe more so. But her honor-bound brought her to a great, great place. Jon, his honor-bound, I will roll my eyes at at times during the season because he got a little wooden about it, but, you know. A little wooden or maybe a little whipped? Whipped, yeah. I just He just seemed to say the same thing over and over again. But I know you kept saying... And that line was, you are my queen. Yeah, and that's all he would say. It's just like, if Jon Snow, the character from the books, would he have really kept saying that? I know you keep saying he's duty-bound, but still, you think he would wake up. I don't know if you would or not. I mean, you know, who knows how getting murdered by your brothers would change a person or a character. True. Addressing some of the common complaints from the final seasons, the time travel, warping people all over the place. For me, I'm glad they cut all the fluff and just got the pieces where they needed to go. Yeah. It got silly at times, like when Danny flew her dragon beyond the wall in a heartbeat to save her boy toy, but, you know, what would they have done to fill the space? Like, I didn't need more worthless stuff. Like, they had a lot to cram into that final season, and I'm kind of glad that transit wasn't one of the ways they spent their time. Yeah, I mean, they had to move the plot along, and the way they did it was doing fast travel. We talked about the Night King a little bit, but the abrupt end of the Night King... It, it, it was abrupt. The battle, it would be cool to be able to see it, but, I mean... It would be fun to see more fiction that explores his story, his origins, uh, how he ended up north of the Wall, why the Wall was constructed. They allude in the books to the magic in the Wall to keep him out, um, what he did in the interim. He was supposed to be, or he was, a super interesting character, and he... We were just left wanting more. Yeah, I mean, he just... I just fell flat. We didn't even see him until towards the end of the episode. You know, it was just... Also, if he loses his whole species if his dies, like, if his entire race depends upon his existence, 
Maybe you should be more careful. Maybe you shouldn't go into a castle with, you know, foreign hostiles. Yeah. I you mean, know, all it takes is one arrow, dude, or one Valerian arrow, or, you know, one little girl who's recently had sex with people with that dagger. <laughs> people person. Yeah. And no, I just, I feel like it was done too quickly. They did the whole battle scene, the Night King, everything was just done too quickly. I understand they had to get to the point with trying to get to the King's Landing, but... I just feel like they could have made it bigger, richer, anything to just, you know. But it's just, yeah, it's just got done too quickly. And I think that's, you know, again, like I said, I would think in ways, Arya was awesome. It was cool. It was fun to see her be the one to do it. Nice highlight. But in ways, again, I would rather have her kill Cersei and then have Jon Snow kill the Night King, you know. Yeah, maybe they were trying to mix things up. I also want to touch on Jamie Lannister. In his books, the redemption arc is pretty interesting. It was more pronounced, and it would have been interesting to see how it played out in the books, but there will never be another book, so we'll never know. Mm-hmm. I'm disappointed that they put him and Bree together and then yanked him back to be with Cersei. But looking back on it, it is kind of consistent with his character. Cersei was his curse. I mean, Cersei was his curse, and, I mean, yeah, it's just, it was too much of a whiplash with Bree, he was jealous, he wanted to be with Bree, he decided to stay, and then all of a sudden, boom, he was with Cersei. The pissing match between him and Tormund was another highlight of it was. I mean, the series. I mean, I love Tormund. Everyone He's, loves Tormund. He was fantastic. What a great job of casting. I know, he was fantastic. And in ways, it's like it would have been fun to see Bree deal with him. You know. But again, he wouldn't go to King's Landing. You no. Know, so. And that's kind of her place. Like I like... How she ended up as a knight of the, as the leader of the I, I agree. I mean, it was the perfect place to go. But it's just a little bit too much whiplash, I would have to say. Yeah. So. And then, you know, he gets crushed by a rock holding Cersei. Yeah, the whole death scene, it was, you know, the whole book, the first book that you've described is the Starks and the Lannisters. Mm-hmm. And you'd think hopefully it would end with the Starks and the Lannisters. The end of the fifth book is... The revelation that Varys was pulling the strings and that there was no direct conflict between the Starks and the Lannisters. He just manufactured it to create turmoil to help create a better world. But I understand that. But, I mean, in the end, the Lannisters behead the Starks, and then, you know, the Starks should have... It would have been nice to see a retribution. It's such a... Ah, it's such a pain in the ass villain ending. Like nobody gets the satisfaction of taking down the big baddie. No, and I don't know why why the decision to have him die by rocks was. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, let Danny's dragon roast them together or something. Something. It's just rocks. Like, it's like, oh shit, maybe we shouldn't have gone down to the basement when the whole castle was falling apart. Yeah, it's just like it's just so bizarre. I mean, it's just, and in the end, it's like, why even send Arya into the city? Yeah, that's true. Like, that was very silly, and I guess kind of a waste of time that they could have dedicated to the Night King or something. I know, it's like, she doesn't do anything, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, she's going to kill Danny. Cool. But then, nope. she doesn't kill Danny. She would have had to kill John, take his face, and then kill Danny. Yeah. That would have been dark. That would have been very dark. But I know it was a very disappointing death scene. But I would have to say in the finale... Tyrion finding them the way they were. 
kind of helped a little bit. To yeah, that eased a lot of it. Seeing his sorrow it. and knowing that he lost his last remaining family and that they were gone. And he had tried to help them escape and tried to give them a new life. And yeah. it didn't work out. So that was powerful. It was a powerful scene. So it helped ease a little bit. But again, I think I would rather have seen Arya have her revenge. Yeah. Or Bronn. Yeah, Bronn would have been interesting. Yeah. yeah. I'm happy with how Jon Snow's ending came. I mean... We'll talk about loose ends in just a minute. It's a little silly that he gets exiled, and we'll get there. We're almost there. I'm I'm happy with Jon Snow's ending. Like he didn't want to rule Westeros, and now he doesn't have to. No, he doesn't have to. He never wanted to. I guess in the ways, it's like why even make him be the yeah. Prince? That's true. Like he could have just been Ned's bastard child. Yeah. So some loose ends as we wrap up our Game of Thrones discussion. John telling his sisters who he really was. We never see the reactions. I would love to see the reactions. Yeah, that's a big moment, and it would have been nice to know, uh, do they still love him? Like, he's not really blood, he's not really their brother anymore. No, he's their cousin now. And Sansa never treated him like a brother until nope. they came, when they were reunited at Winterfell. Yep. Moving on from John, if Westeros would accept a foreign ruler, Bran, why didn't they just coalesce under the Dragon Queen? She had dragons. And like, she was a foreign ruler. Yeah. Uh, so that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Also, why did they marry Bran to a Westerosi noble? Like, Mira Reed would have been a natural fit, or even Asha Greyjoy. Well, I just don't understand the whole goodbye scene between him and Mira Reed. It's like he didn't even care. Yeah, Joy and I talked about that a little bit. Like, she drags his ass beyond the wall. She loses her brother, her closest person in the world. She sacrifices literally everything for him. She gets him back to the wall, gets him back to her family, and she's like, ah. Oh, Peace. And she's gone forever. Like, I expected her to come back. I totally expected to see her during the battle scene with the Night King. I mean, you don't see her at all. She's a part of the North, and she's a noble, and she's her family is connected to Ned Stark. Like, very strange the way they just wrote her out. Wrote I her know. Off. It's just, it was like, I mean, I understand Bran having to be completely disassociated with his old life, but there's still old Bran in there, you know? Yeah, it's well, like, I guess... With the North becoming a separate kingdom, marrying Bran to her wouldn't make sense because then you'd have two foreign rulers. That's true, yeah. Like, there had to be some noble woman from Westeros that they could have paired him to to make it make any kind of sense. Like, he's just, with the North withdrawing, he's from another country, and they're just, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, you can lead us. I know, he's a foreign ruler, and again, like you were talking about, it's like, they send John to the Wall, but the Wall is part of the North, so Sansa could totally pardon him. Yeah, he could just go back to Winterfell. Like, that didn't make a lot of sense either. Yeah, so I mean, it's just, it's like, really? Why? And the whole Unsullied thing, I can't, it's like, dude, just get on your ship and leave. You don't want to be there anyways. Yeah, you don't give a F about the city, your ruler is gone, you're free, and then, like, they leave, and so why is he so insistent that Jon Snow gets exiled if he's gonna leave? Like, again... Doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. I mean, it's like John could have just stood there, waved to them goodbye, and then just went on his way. It's like they had no idea what he was going to do. Yeah. Very strange. What was the deal with the whole Lord of Light prophecy? We talked about it a little bit. Like, was it really all just to position Arya into place to stab the Night King? Is that the entire purpose of Melisandre and the Red Priest and the whole prophecy? I don't know, because they talked to Danieris, you know, the Tyrion, about it. Yeah, like, it would have made a lot more sense without that interaction if they weren't in Asai, or was that Marine? Or... Marine, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just, it's it's so weird to have this prophecy and not to really use it. A few characters that I can get the closure that I wanted on. Blackfish. Did he die fighting the Lannisters? Generally with Martin, a character's only dead when you see them real dead, like their head is chopped off. Yeah, I think we're supposed to assume he's dead. But... Like, he charges up the stairs and, like, they inform Jamie that he's dead. I didn't buy it for a second. I thought that... Somehow he had connived a way to escape, and we were going to see him again. I expected him to turn up at Winterfell for the fight against the dead. Uh, yeah. Nope, just gone. We talked about Mira Reed. What about Alaria Sand? Did she die in the dungeon? What about that priestess that tormented Cersei? Like, they're both locked up down there, and yeah. that's just the end. Like, they just... Probably got crushed by stone. Yeah. Common, uh, common conflict down there. Is there a purpose to the Night's Watch anymore? Or is it the North problem? What is the purpose of the wall now? Like, is it going to be rebuilt? Or are they just going to leave the big-ass hole in it? I know. It's just like, now the whole wall and the Night's Watch is part of the North. It just doesn't make any sense. It's just... Yeah, like, why would... I get why Westeros would send their criminals there. Like, get them a full country away from us. Yeah. Like, all the broken people can go there. That's great. But I don't think Sansa wants all the criminals anymore. No, she absolutely wouldn't. And why was John banished to the wall? Why wouldn't Sansa pardon him and welcome him back to Winterfell? What is the North called now? Like, all these things are just very strange. It is strange. I mean, it's, it's not neatly tied, bow-packaged anything. Yeah. And that's why I don't necessarily buy that it was entirely Martin's ending. I think that Martin influenced Danny being the ultimate baddie. I think that he planted those seeds, or that was maybe his design from the beginning, and that's why her character was so good all the way through to waylay all those concerns and make it such a big shock ending. I think, yeah, I mean, it was very shocking, and it's a good way. And I guess, again, people's complaint, it would have been great to see the development of her turning bad a little bit slower than quickly. Apparently, uh, Bells really piss her off. It does seem like Bells piss her off, but, again, with the whole Jon Snow killing her, I just... I didn't buy into the whole love dynamics in the last season. I started to buy into it. This you were season. all excited about boat sex, baby. I was so excited about it at the you know the season before, but this season I just it fell apart for me. I just didn't feel the connection. I didn't see them in love. That's why I had a hard time with John saying I love her, but he doesn't want to have sex with her type thing. But. Because yeah. we all know that we want to have sex with the people that we love. Yes. I love you very much, honey. I love you, too. Yeah. Should we escape for a little bit? When he killed her, it wasn't emotionally impactful for me. That's why I think it's like I would have rather had um, Mormont kill her, you know, because he has loved her forever. And for him to see her go crazy and have to stab and kill her because... He just couldn't see her destroying the world. Would have been more impactful to me. Totally agreed. Some other things that we'd like to see. We already said this one. John killing the Night King. That would have felt like a much better fit. Maybe they wanted the surprise to be a part of it. They did. And that's the whole reason. So. One thing that I'd very much like to see is a sequel or a follow-up or related fiction about John at the end of his life. Following old John, seeing what he's dealing with north of the wall, what life is like, and uh, just kind of... I think that would be very interesting. That would have been cool. That would be cool. I also want to know, what happened to the children of the forest? Like, there's the one up by the tree that Brand sits in forever as my microphone constantly tries to escape. I don't know. I drank too much. It just keeps drifting down. 
<laughs> it's getting very limp and flaccid. <laughs> what an unfortunate way to end the season. But the children of the forest, like, they allude to them in the fiction, and I expect the elves to become a thing at some point, and they never really do. Like, we see one. We found out they created the Night King to kill the humans, which, good job, great design. They're yeah. fucking awesome at it. And it's like, we don't get any closure with the children of the forest, either. No, we don't. Was she the last one? Did she get killed when Hador was holding the door? Like, I think she did, yeah. I think we're supposed to assume they're all dead. Well, that's sad. Yeah. Well, closing thoughts on Game of Thrones. I still believe that we will never see another book set in this time period, in this fiction, written by George R. R. Martin. Who knows what his errors will do? Maybe Brandon Sanderson will finish it. I just don't think that we're going to get written closure. I do hope that HBO or some other property does future series, because I still think there's a lot of life left in Westeros. Oh, I'm sure there is. I mean, there's a lot of things they could talk about. I know they want to do a prequel about the whole Night King, but... And that would be interesting. I I guess my number one choice would be Old John, seeing what happens there, but more information on the Night King would be good. Are there any other storylines that immediately jump to mind? Not at the moment. Um, they're probably You would probably know more since reading the books, but... I don't know. There's a lot of sprawling there, and I wish that Dorne had never been created. <laughs> but, I mean, there's probably a wealth of fiction that could be written. I mean, the whole Arya storyline, too, her sailing west. What does she find? Yeah. That's true. That would be fascinating to see. And I, I beg on George R. R. Martin a lot, and a lot of it's frustration that there isn't another book, but... He deserves so much credit for creating this world and creating such a wonderful foundation. And I love what HBO did with it and that they were able to continue the fiction and give us some closure. And overall, 10 seasons. Uh, boy, how many years since I read the first book? 20? 18? I don't know. A long time. I'm glad to have closure. It's been quite the ride with Game of Thrones from when Jamie threw Bran out the window. That's when I was hooked until now. Uh... It's been awesome. I mean, just watching shows, not reading the books, it's been great. It's been wonderful. I can see the complaints people have about the fast track, the character development. Over in Martell. Yeah, but it's just, you know, it's nice to have closure, not have to wonder, okay, how is this going to end? We'll see. I mean, people are signing a petition out there for them to remake it. I don't get it. Like... Yeah, it's not a great ending, but again, it's not How I Met Your Mother, Bad. That is very true. Well, there you have it. We've spoiled the ends of everything. We talked about the end of Avengers Endgame. We talked about the end of Big Bang Theory. We talked about the end of Game of Thrones. Next month, OIO is going to bring in a game creator for a very video game-centric show, which should be a lot of fun. Phoenix, you did amazing. How was this experience for you? Nerve-wracking. Nerve-wracking? <laughs> it almost sounds as though I didn't give you a choice on whether or not you're going to do it. I just kind of said, oh, honey, we're going to do this. Oh, honey, you're going to be great. Basically, yeah. <laughs> oh, honey, you're great, and we did it. Yes, we did do it. Maybe next time we'll have an Ask Phoenix Anything segment. How would you feel about 15 of my friends writing in and asking about the size of my penis? Well, I would be definitely interested. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. If you enjoyed it, please tell a friend. If you hated it, please tell a friend how bad it was. Maybe they'll check it out, too. We appreciate your listening. Thank you so much for your time. Don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Tom underscore underscore awesome and Mrs underscore OIO. 
You can email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. There are two R's in overrated. No underscores. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash outside is overrated. Or on Instagram at outside underscore overrated pod. We'll be back with another great show next month. Stay inside, kids. can't believe that I just created the worst sounding episode of all I owe ever. Hello. Hello. Shut up, Fry. <laughs> You're going to want to be right up on it so that people can hear you. Really? And you have to, you know, <laughs> outdoor voices. I mean. <laughs> we're playing memoir at five in the morning voices. Okay. Oh, we're going to do so much more than try here. On my part, yes, it's try. <laughs> It feels like there's another dirty joke in there somewhere. Somewhere. I don't know where. Deep in there. Yeah, there it is. We just gotta go get it, honey. In this quiet moment of OIO, I'd like to take a moment to reflect upon myself and all the things that I'm great at. Is that lotion by you? Maybe. I thought you were outside, honey. (laughs) Dogs go bark, 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 bark. Woof, 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 and a bark, bark, bark.